0: So Sarah and I go way back, Uh, she was really the kind of the critical architect of the culture that we put in place at the Little Rock Caterpillar facility that many of you have heard me talk about in our sessions or on these podcasts. Sarah was in the HR group and she and I just um, clicked and we kind of thought very similarly and... You know, I just was so humbled by this opportunity to lead a huge facility. It's something i would never done before. And I needed somebody that absolutely kind of bought into the vision that we wanted the culture to be different. So Sarah was the person that was just critical in that regard. The result. There were others, of course, but she was just uh, very special to me in that way. But Sarah, if you could just take two seconds, maybe, and just kind of let our listeners know what your background is in, in you know, all the years that you've been in the workplace. And then I've got a couple questions for you once we get through
1: that. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, John. It's my pleasure to join you today. And uh, my background had about 21 years with Caterpillar, uh, four years as an intern, left for a few years and came back uh, working mostly in HR. The last four years at the organization worked in talent analytics and uh, really the employee engagement survey, and then made a decision to leave the organization. I joined uh, one of our vendors and I actually am now on the other side of the house, really just looking at the data that the surveys come in from both 360s and employee surveys and then doing the analytics for that for organizations, uh, taking into account their culture and then giving the executive presentations back to those folks to let them know what I'm seeing in their data and ways that they might be able to improve it. So I've been with this organization now for about a year and a half. So that's my background.
0: And Sarah really comes from a unique perspective because she has been involved with startups, closing plants, uh, plants in transition, just all different kinds of business situations and the emotions that go with that from the human side. So she's kind of seen it all. So that was very helpful when we were together. But but Sarah, just the first question, kind of back to our the culture that we established here at the plant in Little Rock, and you had just come off of, again, a, a situation where a plant was closing, so this was a big change for you just do, to do a startup, was for me as well, coming from Tokyo, but as you look back, we're, that's amazing, you know, over 10 years ago now, what what do you think stands out as to why the culture, again, of course it wasn't perfect, but what was different about it, what did you see that um, sticks with you as to why that was unique and, and, and to help our listeners on one, one of the things that they could do to make that part of their business different?
1: Yeah, sure. So as, as John mentioned, I came from a facility that was closing. I had been there just 10 months before we got the announcement. And it was in 2008 when not a lot of uh, companies were hiring and certainly not companies down in the middle of Georgia. Uh, and, and John and the team were kind enough to bring me over to the startup in in uh, North Little Rock, one of the things that I found so amazing was the pure joy that I had at, at making job offers, right? When we got there, because I had just uh, spent time laying off the last 100 people that we had. And one of the things I think that stuck out to me the most, not just in how intentional John was about who he hired into the organization, and not just people who were like him, uh, and also not just people who fit the mold. One of the key decisions he made was for the lead HR manager there to be someone who had a background in employee engagement and also had an ops background. And so it wasn't your plug and play HR person. And that stuck out to me as uh, just from a diversity standpoint, making sure that we were looking at all aspects. But then also John brought with him the this idea of a training program that was honestly, to me, it wasn't a training program. It was about This is the work that you do, but this is how you do it. And really outlining those expectations from the beginning, but also expanding the program and making room for the how and those expectations on how people treat each other uh, to really get to that really aspirational employee experience stuck out to me. I tried to replicate it. Trust me. I, I went and opened a facility in Thailand. I closed a facility in France. Like John said, I've been uh, trying to replicate what we had there. And I will say that was a key differentiator is that we made it very clear to those folks that we brought in the door. Number one, you were hired for a purpose and for a reason for your skill set. And if you don't have that skill set, we're going to help you get there. But we're also going to hold you accountable for the way that we treat each other. And it was from the onset. And I'm telling you, it stood out to me as an employee because I hadn't seen it elsewhere. But it stood out to everyone that walked in the door. And it was something we spoke about during the interviews. It was, again, uh, a thread through the interview process when we were hiring. We hired smart. And I'm telling you, it was hard because there were people that had some incredibly, I don't know how to say it better, but sad Backgrounds and stories, saying, you know, I got laid off here or whatever. But if they if they weren't going to bring their authentic self and and their um, their ability to treat people the way that we expected, we made some hard decisions in our hiring. And then that training program again is what really stood out. It was a four month program. Yes, four months. You heard me. And honestly, that was eight months less than what John had experienced in Tokyo. Trying to get that through senior leadership at a, you know, 90-year-old company who wanted bodies out on the floor working was very tough. John and his leadership team stood by it. And that was key is that they gave me as an HR partner, they gave me that leeway and said, what do we need for a program? What is actually going to get us the employees out on the floor that are going to do things well and do it in the way that we intend so we can drive the right culture? And so those were the few things that stuck out to me, is not only was there a plan in place, it was thread throughout the recruitment process, and there was senior leadership buy-in from the get-go. If we did not have those things in place, it wouldn't have been the program that it was, and we wouldn't have had the culture that we had.
0: Yeah, I love that. I and mean, it's uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective of it after all these years. But I, And I'm going to say this, too, for you senior leaders out there, CEOs or high-level folks, I, I've seen over my years that human resources can often be <clears throat> I always used to say it this way, human resources aren't invited to the grown ups table in a lot of companies. They're at the kids' table, which means they're off to the side and they're they're doing payroll or they're working on events or you know, basic hiring or things like that. But but I learned over time that really the most critical person sitting next to me at the table was was a human resources person. And again, we had a few folks in the early days of the plant here in Arkansas and Sarah was actually not the, the at the point at that point not the HR manager, but the kind of the second in command. But both of those folks were at our table, so to speak, the grown ups table, and and all joking aside, Sarah and I got along very well, but she was also, I hope, comfortable to push back on some things, even though I might have had some of the visionary thoughts of what I wanted this to look like, and certainly as she just mentioned, coming out of three years in Tokyo, I saw how well the Japanese trained people, so I was certainly influenced by that. But, but my point of that whole um, thing that I just said is, I think if you are regulating, um, you you're over regulating HR and you're, you're just using them as these um, more clerical staff, I think you're missing it. You've got to have somebody that understands the, the overall employee experience, which is where I'm going to go next uh, with this conversation, but just that you know, the person is, has a heart for people, yes, but also understands accountability, but also has a, the ability to push back on the senior person. And so Sarah and I, we joked around a lot when we were together, But I do know if she came to me and said, John, I just don't think this is the right direction. I think we need to make this decision instead of that. I trusted her completely. And I just feel like that's a a big miss in lots of companies that we don't have that that human resources talent sitting next to us in some of these these key situations. So um, with that, Sarah, because that was well said, there is a phrase that is very common right now, It's you'll, you're seeing it on social media, you're seeing it you know, on LinkedIn, this phrase called quiet quitting, and, and some people don't know what that means, some people uh, totally get it, but to me, what's interesting is it's kind of a new phrase for an age-old problem. So in our sessions, we talk about people that are engaged at work, disengaged, then actively disengaged. So the actively disengaged people, they, they're making it very clear that they don't wanna be there and how they speak, uh, they could be spewing negativity throughout the day. They might just be harmful in terms of uh, just the cancer they might cause around the workplace with how they talk, body language, lack of performance. The, the far extremes in those cases are easy to see. To me, the quiet quitting are really what I would call just people that are, quote, disengaged. They're showing up, they're working, but kind of doing the bare minimum to get by. And so... I'm not making light of this new phrase "quiet quitting." I just think it's something that's been there for a long time, and maybe the last couple of years have caused people to to do more of that. But, but from your perspective, Sarah, how would you describe that? What? Do, how do you see that in daily practice? And then, what what do you think is what's the antidote to that? How do we how do we stop people from falling into that category?
1: Yeah, great question. I. And so I don't like quiet quitting uh, as it's named because I think it's a misnomer. People aren't quitting uh, in, in these cases, really. Uh, other other ways I've heard it described is the working dead, which is sort of just a playoff of, obviously, a popular TV show. But what, what it's coming down to is, well, first of all, it's absolutely not new. You, you're hitting it on the head. There are people that have come in, clocked in, clocked out, so to speak, and coasted, right? They come in, they do enough where their performance rating is, yep, you met expectations. Uh, they they don't give discretionary effort. They're certainly not innovative in their roles, but are they doing what, what they're being paid to, to do? Yes, they're coming in and 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 building the widget or uh, doing the paperwork that is intended for them, and they're walking out the door. What's been so interesting and some research recent research that our company has done is not only has that number increased for that group of folks to almost a third of the population we're seeing coming out of COVID is now considered these quiet quitters. And what I find so interesting about and why, why I'm so passionate about this is we just spent the years, maybe five years leading up to COVID, uh, not knowing that obviously that was going to fast forward the work from home, uh, you know, remote uh, work. But we spent the five years leading up to it trying to understand what is work-life balance or work-life integration. And now that is showing up almost as quiet quitting, where people are saying, look, I've stepped back during COVID. Not only did I start spending more time with my family because I was at home, I started to reevaluate what was important to me because I watched all of this, um, not just COVID, but also, you know, the diversity inclusion things that are happening in our nation and around the world, and I have reevaluated who I am in this world and what work means to me. And now it is showing up as what people are coining as a new phenomenon, which is not. It, it, it has been around for a while. It's just becoming a lot bigger and a lot more noticeable in a way it's making leaders kind of sit up and take notice. And so, one of the things that we're starting to see again in research is number one, it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing because on the other side of it is burnout. And what the problem is, though, is it becoming either or, and that can't, that can't be, um, it's just not sustainable, right? Because suddenly you're going to have people that they're, they're going to start to bleed into that disengaged. They're, there's going to be no connection or loyalty to the organization if they stay in that quiet quitting kind of space. But if they go all the way the other way, they're going to very quickly. And this to be, you know, really candid is what happened to me is I was burning the candle at both ends, got completely burnt out, and I left. I couldn't do it anymore. There was zero balance in what was going on. And so the anecdote, and obviously time is going to tell, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle where and and what research is showing to us is that it is it comes down to people feeling like the skills and abilities that they were hired to do are being used and they're being used in a meaningful way. And so that comes with providing the right resources to cut out any sort of um, ineffective processes so that they can be utilized for those things that really make them tick. Uh, It's also about listening, listening to perspectives. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people that are, they say it's the Great Resignation. It's more like musical chairs, right? People are sort of moving and then boomeranging back, but they're going into these roles. They're hired because of the expertise they bring and then immediately halted because, yeah, 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 we don't want to hear that. We've tried that before or you don't know what it's like here. And suddenly their skills and abilities are not being used. And so I feel like that's one of the most important things to offset this is really value what each person is bringing to the table and what that does is start to inspire them. Oh, they value me. They value these it's this experience that I'm bringing or these things that motivate me. And then suddenly you start to see more discretionary effort. You start to see them, uh, you know, raising their hands to, to help peers in a way maybe that they hadn't before. They start to be okay with coming up with innovative ideas that may not succeed. And that's been a key thing too, that, that, risk adverse you know culture is not as present anymore so i just said a lot but i think there's a couple of of key things number 1 if you're not listening to your employees listen to your employees find out a way to gather that feedback and and meaningfully understand where they're at right now uh ask opinions and then also acknowledge that people are right now they're in flux they're they're Things aren't how they used to be. So they're trying to understand if consistency is going to come back. And they're also trying to understand if, uh, you know, it's kind of a wait and see mode. How are things going to pan out? So understand, like John said, there's ebbs and flows when it comes to uh, quiet quitting. Don't assume that it's your entire workforce, but then also really hone in on those skills and abilities that will not only set up folks to feel motivated in their role, but also set you up as an organization to draw on those that will actually start to bring about that discretionary effort.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, and I'm gonna throw one last question at you because the other side of this, and I've noticed this even in the last month, there's almost from the employee side, there's sometimes even employees encouraging other employees to do the quiet quitting. Like, hey, if you're not happy, you just you know you do the bare minimum or you you kind of just shut down on the job and let, let them notice that and you know maybe they'll maybe they'll take you seriously if you do that and again I of course I would say as an individual that's not a good approach that we talk about in our sessions about getting awkward early having difficult conversations we do that from a supervisory point of view talking about holding people accountable but but give me your thoughts on that if I'm if I'm an employee and I'm just starting to drift where I almost feel a little bit like I'm that disengaged group or the alarm goes off in the morning and I don't really want to be there, what, what, what would you say to that person as opposed to just saying, okay, fine, I guess there's nothing I can do different about this, so I'm just going to become one of these quiet quitters?
1: Yeah. Wow. You bring up such a good point because there's also that, that point where you say, well, wait, why am I breaking my neck? to stay the extra hours or uh, or help so-and-so out uh, with, with their project, which, by the way, is one of the key indicators that you are starting to have a quiet quitting organization is if teamwork starts to slow down. And that, that means, I look, I don't have enough time in my day to go help John with this project. And you'll start to see that. It's a huge indicator that that a large population of your employees are starting to do that. They're kind of Going to that lowest denominator, right? If if John next to me isn't going to put in an extra hour at the end of the day or come up with the innovative ideas, then I'm not either. And to those folks, I say that is a really short-sighted approach to where you want to go with your careers. And so I, I just feel like leaders can really intervene um, by taking notice, especially if someone who in the past was someone that. And I'm not saying extra hours. I'm not, I'm not saying people should be used in a manner uh, that, that is unfair. But if there are people that used to raise their hand to try to learn something new, if they are people that used to come up with the, even if they're off the wall ideas that were not implemented, but they at least were thinking out of the box that suddenly are not, those are the people that I would approach first and foremost. Get in there, find out what's going on in the organization, find out what's going on with those key folks, because those folks are the ones that the other people look up to also. And if they are suddenly just coming in, punching in, punching out, that is going to be much more noticeable than the other groups of the organization.
0: I think there is that leader approach. We talk in our sessions about people, you know, leaders should be intervening with their folks, meeting with them regularly just to touch base. What's on your to-do list? How are things? Are you frustrated? Good, bad? How's your mom doing? Whatever. But on the other hand, from the employee side, if I'm starting to feel a little disengaged, to, to not let that slide. So let's say the supervisor isn't great at, Reaching out as we just talked about, I, you know, what I would expect the employee to do is to, to at least try then to go to his or her supervisor and say, hey, I'm just noticing like the last week or two, I'm, I'm not feeling as motivated. The, the alarm goes off and I don't jump out of bed. So I just wanted to talk about that with you because I'm not, you know, I may not even be really sure why it's happening. But to, as an employee decide not to let that spiral down, so to speak, where, where again, you either just quit, you actually do leave the company without trying to make it better where you're at, or you do become a quiet quitter where you stay and then everything we just talked about, performance drops off, satisfaction drops off. So my point mm-hmm. is I know, I know you well enough that in, in all the jobs you've had, if, that, if you were starting to feel that, I'm not saying on day one that you felt that you came to me or your other bosses, but I also know you didn't let that go on for years without talking about it, right? So I do think there's a two-way street that there's some responsibility on the employee side as well to not let it get to that point where it's almost too late.
1: A hundred percent. And employee experience is not something that a leader does for employees. It is co-created. It is peers noticing when other peers are, are maybe uh, you know not operating in the same manner they used to. It's leaders noticing. But I love what you just said about employees. And you're right. It is something that in my own personal experience, I fell into lulls at times where I I just felt like I was kind of going in, doing my work, heading home. But it was, like you said, a matter of acknowledging, is this what I want out of my day? Is this what I want for the organization that I'm committed to? And am am I bringing my whole self to work? And in those situations, I wasn't. And that is not, that was on me. There were situations where I had to have that accountability saying, you know, I do have a job to do. And part of my job is bringing all of Sarah because that's who you hired. Right. And so it's that personal, personal accountability. I love that you just pointed that out uh, because that is absolutely a piece of it.
0: Yeah. and And my point of that is I always think my parents are both gone now, but they were married for 69 years. And I talk about this in our session sometimes, but of course they had problems in a 70 year marriage. But you know, think about the quiet quitting thing just in relationships, right? So that could be, so we, we have our first argument, we get married, we have our first argument, and I we, one of the people leaves and there's a divorce. Well, people go, that don't do that. That's not, that's not rational right. behavior, just to get divorced is your first argument. But, but the worst situation, um, maybe, is to get in and be a quiet quitter in a relationship. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just showing up. I, I've lost you know, respect or passion, so we, we see this in other parts of our life, not just at work, and so I do think it's incumbent upon us as human beings, and it's hard, and I and I was one of these that did not do this well early in my life, to to talk about some of this stuff, and to say I'm I'm, I'm not feeling as engaged or passionate as I want to, like you just said, I, I want to bring all of Sarah to work or all of John, it's, it, all of this is a two-way street, and I think it's that that's the piece that I think is sometimes missing in what you're seeing in the news and LinkedIn and social media, some of that is it, it can look like it's all the company's fault and and I just come to work and you have to make me excited and passionate all day. Or it can look like the you know the business is going it's not our fault. Like it's these, these people are just they're not as engaged and they're lazy and blah blah blah. And basically what we're what we're trying to teach companies is you, you have to be an organization where what we call stars, high values, high performing people want to stay, and they want to that you know, we want to attract people like that, and our company's one that's going to attract them and keep them. So there's that side of it. but but also like you just said, Sarah, that the employee has a role in this also, to not let it get to a point of the quiet quitting. So again, we, we could have we could make this into a twenty part podcast because it's kind of on everybody's mind. But I, I think you you hit the high points and just if anything, there's not, like you said, there's not a silver bullet for this, there's not a magic solution, but it's also not just sitting on the sidelines and hoping it goes away because I think it's something that has been there for a long time. Uh, first of all, just thanks for spending some time with us today. Um, you know how I feel about you and just to even get a chance to just talk to you in this manner is uh, a true uh, dream of mine, just to get like, almost like we're working together again. So thanks for that. Thanks for your insight. And this won't be the last time that we chat. And I know you're doing good work uh, with the company right now. So they're lucky to have you and uh, just always value your opinion. But thanks for spending time with us today and hope that uh, this isn't the last time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's episode or even ideas for your future episode, you can contact us through our website at johnharrisonvip.com or follow us on any of our social media platforms.